big God. Amen? How many of you want him to get bigger in your eyes? That wasn't a trick question. We need him to be bigger in our eyes. In fact, I think most of our problems come from a fact that God is too small in our eyes. Um, we would never admit that out loud, but um, I think that is the problem. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, we're in part 11 of a series called Redefined. Um, basically, the assumption from Scripture, and it's not an assumption, it's a truth, um, from Scripture is when we come into the kingdom, we become brand new people. We've been redefined. And what Arden Bevere has done in his book is he has taken, um, I believe it's 10 different things that have labels that have been put on this generation or on people today and showed us that the Bible doesn't say that's who we are, even if it's how we're acting at the time. We've been recreated. We are a new creation. And if my behavior does not look like the word says it should or who I am, who it says I am, I need to change my behavior to match who I am. Okay? So I always use this illustration. I don't know if it's truth or not, but it sounds good to me. So if someone tells a lie, we call them a liar. But if I'm a believer and I've put confidence in Christ and I tell a lie, I'm not a liar. I'm a son of God who told a lie. And it is not who I am. So I need to change my behavior and stop lying. We're not liars. We told lies. We are redefined. And our behavior has to start matching what the Word says we are. Amen. So if my behavior does not match the Word, my behavior needs to change. Because God has recreated me. He's given me a brand new identity. And that's what Arden has done. Last week we talked about entitlement. We talked about pride. We talked about how we battle against that in our lives by humility, by contentment or gratefulness, and also by connectedness and teachableness. And uh, if you missed that message, uh, I apologize for not getting it uploaded this week, but we'll get that uploaded. Uh, it is on our podcast, so if you want to hear the audio version, you can go back. Um, and I covered some things more than what Arden covered in his chapter, and I'm going to do that again today, because today we're covering the chapter called Fearful. We live in a society that is fearful. And before you say amen, I think the church is just as fearful. We are reacting to what's happening around us out of fear. Fear causes us to react in one of two ways. It's fight or flight. We either run away, we hide, we, we flight, we flee. That's what fear does to us. We withdraw. If I am afraid of something, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that situation. And so I run away. But there's also the fight. When we're afraid of something, the fight comes out. I don't know if you've ever hidden behind a door and scared someone and they punched you. That's a, that's a reaction. That's what happens. And so you shouldn't stand behind doors and scare people. That's not what you should do. But you should trust. And so you, that, if, that someone's reaction could be that. So when, we, when it comes to the, the opposite, or not the opposite, or how, what Arden has done is he's given us these terms, and then he said, here's how we correct it. Well, fearful is the fear of the Lord. We are a people who fears God. That's what our title is today. That's what we're going to talk about. 
And for some of you, that may sound like a contradiction. You maybe were not raised in an environment, or maybe you haven't read through the Scripture and, and read about the fear of the Lord, because it's all through the Old Testament and New Testament, this idea of fear. And Arden brings out what some in the church, when we start talking about the fear of the Lord, will say, oh, no, 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 we don't have to have the fear of the Lord anymore because perfect love casts out fear. Um, True, perfect love does cast out fear, and the Bible does say do not be afraid, but that's not what the fear of the Lord is. Actually, Jesus himself told people when he was on earth, don't fear man, but fear God. So from the mouth of Jesus, this idea of fearing the Lord is an essential for us as Christians. And the, the quote that Arden starts this chapter with is such a great quote. Look at this. There is a fear that makes us fearless. It's a fear that restrains us and yet also empowers us. A fear that enables us to stand, to fight, and to win. Arden's dad, John, wrote a book called The Fear of the Lord. And I read it actually early on in my ministry. Actually, when I was just beginning ministry, even before that, um, some of the books by John Bevere, Undercover, Learning How to Submit to Those That Are in Authority Over You, um, the, the Fear of the Lord, uh, Thus Saith the Lord, How to Recognize the True Prophetic Spirit versus the Spirit of Jezebel, the self-appointed prophetess that uh, is talked about in Revelation. And uh, that was a, a key book, The Bait of Satan, uh, a great book by John Bevere that talks about how to overcome offense in our lives. All three of those would be great reads in our culture right now. And uh, the, the book, The Fear of the Lord, he actually rewrote it later on in his ministry. So I actually read it twice. I read the first one, and then I read the reprint. And uh, we actually went through it as a curriculum, as a church. And so maybe you didn't grow up in an environment where you heard about the fear of the Lord, but I did. I grew up in an environment where we heard about it, I read about it. Um, but even this week, as I started praying into, God, what is this concept of the fear of the Lord? Um, I began to see areas in my life where I think God showed, look, there's a lack of the fear of the Lord right here. Um, and I don't know about you, but when the Lord corrects me, I, I used to get down on myself or actually try not to listen to his correction. But now, just like I talked about last week, I even like to get correction from Joab's, um, you know, in our lives because the Lord speaks however he can to correct us, to train us, to teach us. And he disciplines those he loves. And so I hope that today as we talk about the fear of the Lord, I may not give you uh, the type of definition or the type of answer that you hope for. In fact, I may give you more questions today than I give you answers. But I hope to set you on a journey to understand what this is, this fear of the Lord, and really to dig into the scripture to find out what it means for our lives and how um, we live out our lives. What I will tell you is the fear of the Lord is not about being afraid of God. As a child, um, I was often afraid that I was going to miss the rapture or that if I did something wrong, God was going to send me to hell. You know, the, the great sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, you know, have people white-knuckling it and as if God holds us over hell by a string and he's just waiting to drop us. Um, is so far removed from the God of Scripture. He has actually done everything possible to keep us from hell. 
He is doing everything possible. His goodness is running after us. Now, again, his goodness may come to us in a package we don't want to accept, but it is, after all, his goodness. And so we have to trust when it comes to the fear of the Lord that it is not about learning to be afraid of God. And there are a lot of different fears that we have in our lives. Arden brings out some of them in the book. But some of us are afraid of animals, whether that's a dog, whether that's a snake, whether that's a, mice, a mouse or a bat or whatever animal it is that you're afraid of. Um, some of us are afraid of heights. Some of us are afraid of water. Some of us are afraid of tight spaces. I mean, there are all kinds of fears. And some of those fears are really just based on um, not fact, but on the what might happen, the possibilities. And Arden talks about in the chapter, the acronym FEAR is false evidence appearing real. And so um, I, every time I hear an acronym, I think of Karen Carey um, because <laughs> she just loved acronyms. In fact, she loved that one. She used to say it all the time. It's false evidence appearing real. You can't give in to the lies. Uh, and there's so much truth in that. But it's not just these other fears. Arden talks about the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of being alone, the fear of missing out. I mean, we have to know everything about everybody. I can't ever stay home from anything because I don't want to miss out. That's a real fear that people face in our, our society today. The fear of financial loss, the fear of illness, the fear of death, the fear of being controlled. The, the list is endless, these fears in our lives. But if we lean into what the Bible says as the fear of the Lord, it helps us to overcome every other fear in our life. So what is the fear of the Lord? If we look to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 9 tell us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, I define it, maybe it's simplistic for you, but I always define knowledge as information and I define wisdom as application. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, all information starts with the fear of the Lord. But the application of that information, wisdom, also begins with the fear of the Lord. And if, I, if you had to press me, what is the fear of the Lord? I would simply define it as just making God bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your eyes. Giving Him a greater sense of worth. I mean, not that you can, in your eyes. A greater sense of value. More trust. Just letting him get larger and larger and larger. Um, as Christina was sharing during ministry moments, I had a picture of, in my mind, of a person looking at a problem. And between them and their problem was God. And God was really tiny. He was like this little bitty thing. And as Christina <laughs> began to talk in ministry moments about the goodness of God and just thanking him and faithfulness, God actually grew. <laughs> And uh, he got bigger and bigger, and then you could no longer see the problem. If I had to define the fear of the Lord, I struggled all week to find a definition for the fear of the Lord. And Christina talked for like three, three seconds, and uh, I got a picture in my mind of what the fear of the Lord is. It's just God getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in the, the book of Proverbs, it talks so much, Proverbs and Psalms, about the fear of the Lord and how to apply it to our lives. And Arden gives us another quote in the, the chapter, and he actually quotes Andy Stanley. And he says, in his book, Andy Stanley points out 
Psalms and Proverbs talk about four different kinds of people. The fool, the mocker, the simple, and the wise. When listening to correction or instruction, each of these people will respond differently. The fool will ignore correction. The mocker will hate it. The simple just won't get it. And the wise person will appreciate it. And so let's pause for a second. Father, I just ask right now that you would help us today to be wise. God, show us every area of our life where the fear of the Lord needs to grow. God, I admit today there are areas in my life where I lack the fear of the Lord. And Holy Spirit, I need your help today. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be a mocker. I want to be wise. So help us in this room to hear what you are saying to your church in these last days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you pray in the middle of a sermon? I just did. So there you go. Okay, so Exodus chapter 20 is the best place to look at the fear of the Lord, um, especially the way Arden talks about overcoming fear with fear. Exodus chapter 20, all of the Israelites have been taken out of Egypt, and they have come to Mount Sinai, and God has brought them there, and He is speaking to them from the top of the mountain. God is speaking, they're hearing. So when God delivers the Ten Commandments, they hear God's voice. I don't know what God's voice sound like, sounds like, but it sounds a lot like thunder and lightning, uh, because that's what happened at Mount Sinai. And then later on in the New Testament, when Jesus is being baptized, or when Jesus is actually, I believe, at the tomb of Lazarus, uh, God speaks. And some people don't hear God, they hear what sounds like thunder. So, I, well, I don't know what he sounds like, but when he's speaking here in Exodus chapter 20, the people see the thunder and lightning, they heard the trumpet, and they saw the mountain in smoke, and they trembled in fear. I mean, who wouldn't? They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself. And we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Now you have to understand, God has already told them He's bringing them out to be a kingdom of priests to Himself. This is what God wants. He wants to speak to His people. But the response of His people is, we don't want to draw near to God because God's scary. Because if I draw near to God, something has to die and I'm afraid of that. And Moses says to the people, look at this, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Isn't that great? God has come to test you so that his fear will be in you and it will keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. When God comes to test his people, he tests the people of Israel. We'll look in a moment at the test of Abraham. God doesn't come to test the way we think of a test. When a teacher gives you a test in our culture, it's so they can test your knowledge of the information. They want to know how well you've grasped the concepts. Now, we're not going to get into whether or not testing is the appropriate way to do that or not. That's what we use tests for. God already knows everything that's in our hearts. 
So when God tests us, it's not so that he can get some information. God only tests us so we can know what's in our hearts. Because the Bible tells us the heart is, is um, very deceitful. We can actually think our heart is good, and our response in a, to a test or in a situation can actually show us there are things in our hearts that need to be dealt with. And it's easy for us in those moments to blame the circumstance or the person that's actually causing those things to happen and just suppress what's actually in our hearts. But the test actually reveals what's in our hearts. And some of us will run from those tests. Some of us will get angry during those tests. But ultimately, we ought to come before the Lord humbly and repent during that test. Because God already knew that was in our heart and we're already new creations He's just trying to work that out in our lives. And so the test that's happening here, he's coming to the people because he wants his fear. He wants to be so big in their eyes that when Moses is delayed on the mountain, the people respond correctly. As we know, they didn't. They created a God in their image, in the image of a calf, and they worshipped it. God came to test them to become big in their eyes, to get them to trust him so that when they ran out of food and water, they would trust that he's going to provide for them. But they didn't. They grumbled and complained. He came to test them so that when an enemy attacked them, they would have confidence in God. But when they came to the edge of the promised land, you know what happened? Why'd you bring us out here to die? See, they only failed the tests later on because they didn't pay attention to this test. They didn't deal with the fear that was happening in their hearts, and they didn't respond. They just drew back, and they're like, Moses, you speak to us. And the same thing happens often in our lives today because God wants us to grow in the fear of the Lord because we will become confident. And no matter what happens to us or what circumstances come our way, when we have confidence in God, when we grow in the fear of the Lord, our problems never get bigger than Him. And so we can learn to trust Him. Now that doesn't mean we're going to do this perfectly. We're going to grumble, we're going to complain, we're going to make mistakes. But in those moments, are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to correct us? Or are we going to ignore it? Are we going to blame so growing in this idea of fear of God, growing in respect, growing in regard for Him, growing in the value, is meant to draw us into intimacy with Him. It's meant to, to be what Moses did. He drew near the thick darkness where God was. They set up a tent of meeting where people could inquire of the Lord in the Israelite camp. And Moses often went to the tent of meeting and the people stood at the doorway and they watched Moses go in there, but they just didn't go except for Joshua. He went. Is it any wonder that of the 12 spies that went into the land of Israel, Joshua was one of the only two that actually had confidence that God could help them to overthrow the people that were giants because he drew near to where God was. We are not going to grow in the fear of the Lord by spending three minutes in the Word and three hours watching television or scrolling Facebook. We're not going to grow in the fear of the Lord by spending all of our time conversing with everybody else about 
what's happening in our world and why we think it's wrong and why we think it's right and trying to figure out everything, we're going to need to press into the secret place. If we're going to grow in the fear of the Lord, we have to go where God is and we have to get into his presence. And whether that means go to an actual place and get quiet before him or just in the midst of our day, quiet our hearts enough and lean our ear to him before we react or respond to the situation that's happening around us and say, God, what are you saying right now? What are you doing right now? Because what's happening right now is causing me to be afraid. It's causing me to be angry. It's causing me to want to run and hide. But God, I need you to get bigger in my heart right now. And I'm just going to recall your faithfulness. I'm going to recall your goodness. I'm going to remember who you are. That's hard to do, isn't it? In the the midst of disappointing news, in the midst of frustrations. But yet, that's why he put his spirit inside of us. So that we actually could do that. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 14, look at this. The Lord confides in those who fear him. King James says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. See, God wants to confide in us. He wants us to know what's in his heart. How many of you know the Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways? His thoughts are higher than ours. And even when we come to faith in Christ... His ways are still higher. His thoughts are still higher. We want to just take his word as if it's like a set of guidelines. And then we just want to go off and live our life. Um, But we find that we misapply those things. We cannot just take his word and go do whatever we want to do with our life. We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. We need to walk in intimacy with him. David modeled this for us because David, every time he went to battle, would inquire of the Lord. Even when it was the same army and in the same war, David would inquire of the Lord. He never assumed the way we did it last time is the way we do it this time. And I fear that in our church world, we have the Bible now, so we just think we know how to apply it in every situation, in every circumstance. We never quiet ourselves and grow in the fear of the Lord and realize maybe the way we respond to this is different than the way we responded last time. Maybe God wants us to do something different in this moment. We need to grow in the fear of the Lord. We need to grow so that God can confide in us the things that he's saying, the things that he's doing. In Psalm 103, look at this. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. A lot of people know the deeds of God. They know how God wants them to behave or wants them to act. But there aren't a lot of people that know the ways of God because you learn the ways of God by drawing near to the thick darkness where God is. You don't know the ways of God just by spending three minutes in the scripture every morning. You know the ways of God by meditating on the word, by turning off the television and actually soaking in his presence and saying, God, my life is in chaos right now and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I mean, that's a great prayer to pray. It was prayed by one of the kings of Judah who was being attacked by an army, had no idea what to do. So he went into the temple and said, God, I have no idea what to do, but my eyes are on you. I mean, there's a saying out there that says God helps those who help themselves. I don't know that that's true. I think God helps those who humble themselves and say, I can't help myself. (laughs) You help me. You intervene for me. And interestingly, Moses, right after this, we hear about the ways of God in Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. 
He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Interestingly enough, that's exactly what God said to Moses when he was on the mountain. And Moses said, show me your glory. God says, you, you can't see that. I love the fact that you want that, <laughs> but I can't do that because it'll kill you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a, in a place. I'm going to hide you when I pass by and you're going to see my goodness. And I'm, he speaks these words. The Lord is good. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He speaks that to Moses on the mountain. That's why Moses knew the ways and the people of Israel only knew their deeds. See, you can go to church and sit here week after week and you can know the, the deeds of God, the acts of God. But to know the ways of God, you're going to have to get into a place where you commune with him w by yourself. And now as you grow in that, sometimes we need other people to help us to do that. Hey, would you come and spend some time in prayer with me? You know, we don't do this in our world today. We don't actually disciple people where we say, hey, let's go spend some time in prayer together and I'll model for you how to pray. Jesus did that with his disciples all the time. That's why they're like, uh, teach us how to pray because you do this better than us. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Someone actually could teach us how to do that. And before you say, well, man, I wish someone would do that for me, ask. Find someone who prays and say, hey, would you teach me how to pray? There's no shame in that. That's actually humility, and that's actually how we grow in grace. And so um, I have a young man that went on a missions trip, and uh, he came back from that, and he said, man, I, I thought I knew how to pray, but this, this kid on this trip taught me how to pray. He's like, the times we would spend in prayer together, I was just like blown away that you could just enjoy God's presence like that. But that took being on a missions trip for three months together every day. He grew in that. And that's how he grew in the fear of the Lord or how to pray. So God tested those people. He also tested Abraham. Abraham, in James chapter 2, this isn't on the screen, but in James chapter 2, the Bible says Abraham believed God. God credited it as righteousness. And he was known as a friend of God. He's known as a friend of God. Abraham, Old Testament, Old Covenant, known as a friend of God. In Genesis chapter 22, he faces a test where God promises he's going to give him a son. And Abraham takes matters into his own hands, tries to have a son through his, his wife's servant, and they have Ishmael. And that wasn't God's plan. But God still blessed Ishmael because, you know, it was Abraham's offspring. Isn't that funny that God e will even bless our mistakes? So why do we hold them over people so much? <laughs> why aren't we as merciful as he is? If God can even bless our mistakes, man, we need to grow in mercy. I didn't expect that. But anyway, <laughs> so God tells him after he gives him this long-awaited son, God's like, take him up on to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him there to me, which was common practice for the people of that day to sacrifice their firstborn to a, to a God totally not out of the ordinary. <laughs> so, I mean, it is for God, but not for the other gods. And he tells them to do it, and Abraham does it. And, and in the midst of him being tied on the altar and raising the knife, he says in Genesis twenty two twelve, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now, <laughs> I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld your son, your only son. It was the promise. And isn't it 
crazy in our lives where God makes a promise and it feels like we start, everything around us is actually the backwards of the promise. It's a test. Are you going to trust? Are you going to take matters into your own hands? See, God couldn't have Abraham continuing to take matters into his own hands. He needed a guy that knew what was in his heart. And I love that what was in Abraham's heart is that he doesn't understand this. The New Testament tells us that Abraham just reasoned that God could somehow raise Isaac from the dead. (laughs) Good for him. I don't know. I mean, God makes a promise and then he wants to test us to see if we're going to trust that he's actually in control of that moment. If God is who he says he is, he can be trusted fully. And any lack of trust on our part should be followed immediately by repentance and the asking for God to grow in our eyes. The fear of the Lord. Teach us the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is not just about following rules. There are a lot of people in our culture today that have a high regard for the Scripture. But they're, they're, they don't have a, the fear of the Lord in their lives. I mean, they believe that, that God is up there in heaven somewhere. And they even believe that Jesus came to earth. And these principles, this moral code has been given to us so that you and I now can just take this moral code and we can go out there and make a good life for ourselves here on earth. But yet Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to give you a moral code so you can go make a good life for yourself. He said, come and die. Come follow me. And some of these times we're going to apply the moral code this way, but just when you think you've got it all figured out, I'm going to ask you to apply it this way. That's why Jesus didn't perform the same miracle twice the same way. He wanted us to know that you don't, you don't just get some information and then go off and do it. God's looking for partners. And he's looking for people whose hearts are humble and who walk in the fear of the Lord, who, who take that invitation to draw near to where he is. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees had all the, the code. They had the law, but they didn't have the fear of the Lord because they were applying the principles in the way that made their life the best. But can I tell you in the kingdom, sometimes when we apply the principles, it's not what's best for me. In fact, we're commanded, don't just think of yourself, actually think of others when you make decisions. Consider others as better than yourselves. And so if it's just about me taking this code and going out and applying it however it's best for me and my family, I don't have the fear of the Lord. I don't trust that God can actually work in my situation. I need to work in my situation. This sounds really weird, doesn't it? But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like foolish. In fact, the Bible says if you want to follow the Lord, the world is going to call you foolish. Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Fear the Lord and shun evil. See, Fearing the Lord is not just about shunning evil. It's not just about shunning evil. It's about walking in this relationship, this intimacy, this dependency with Him that uh, I need Him to know how to apply in this moment. There are two instances where um, 
there's two different scriptures that I want us to look at and tie them together. One is in Genesis chapter 18, because Genesis chapter 18, verse 7 says this. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the iniquity of the city has risen up before him. And somehow it's reached a tipping point um, in the justice scales of God. And he's going to destroy the city. And uh, I love this. Should I hide this from Abraham? And so he has this weird dialogue with Abraham where Abraham actually stands in on behalf of the city rather than join in with God and say, yeah, go ahead and destroy them. I've heard about them. They they're pretty wicked people and uh, you'd be justified in that. (laughs) I mean, he is God. But he's like, well, what if there's like 50 righteous? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? I mean, he pleads for mercy. He gets God all the way down to 10. What if there are 10 righteous? Uh, I won't destroy the city for 10 righteous. Apparently, he couldn't even find 10 righteous. So God destroys the city. But go to Luke chapter 9, verse 55 and 56. The disciples went into Samaria, and the Samaritans made them leave. Because remember, Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. And James and John are like, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. That's interesting. If you have a good Bible, uh, you have a footnote that says some manuscripts actually have more information than that. So let's look at the footnote version, if we can. Luke 9, 55, 56, some of the manuscripts that we have of the Bible say this. Not that he just corrected them. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. interesting like in one situation in Genesis 18 God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and Moses is the one intervening and then these friends of God because remember Jesus says to his disciples I call you friends they want to call down fire and God's like you don't even know what spirit you're of we have to trust that God's in control of our lives and that the way we respond to what's happening around us isn't always going to be the way we initially feel like we should respond or even the way that we responded the last time. We have to learn to walk in this relationship with the Lord. If you remember Joseph, Joseph had a dream and uh, he, his brothers and sisters and mother and father were all bowed down to him. Then he was sold as a slave. And so you know what he did? He became the best slave he could be. And then he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. So you know what he did? He became the best prisoner he could be. How about us? What about Daniel and his three friends? I mean, they were taken into captivity. And they all these laws are being passed that are actually putting them in, in dire situations. And so they just actually don't do them. They don't take to Facebook and tell everyone why those laws are terrible. They just don't do them. And they take the consequences that come with that. And they do it in the most respectful manner. Oh, your majesty. Oh, your majesty. Oh, your majesty. I mean, if you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace anyway, why not, you know, get one last dig in? Well, because apparently when you walk in the fear of the Lord, that's not what you do. And if you want to actually be saved when you're in the furnace, you got to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so... They get saved from the furnace. Daniel gets saved from the the lion's den. 
with no way to defend themselves, no rights to, to appeal to. And then we look at King David. We talked about him a lot last week. He was anointed king, but then he's got a guy throwing spears at him, and he's got his own son trying to take it over. But every single time, David, this man after God's own heart, would not take matters into his own hands. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, this is one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So what do we do with this, this fear of the Lord? Because um, as Christina talked about in ministry moments, we often find ourselves today in situations where we get a bad doctor's report. We have a bad experience at work. Maybe even someone falsely accuses us of something. Maybe we lose our job unjustly. Um, maybe our kids are in a, a classroom at school where the teacher seems to be especially hard on them. We don't know how to, how do we handle these moments, especially in a culture where um, we, we live today and um, we have rights? Because, I mean, when you're Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't have any rights, so what are you, you going to do? The king is the king. How do we navigate this moment? How do we navigate this moment um, in our culture where, I'll call it our review culture. You know, when you go to a restaurant, I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and had a bad experience. So you leave a review, right? Is that, that's what we do. Because we don't want other people to have the same bad experience we had. Or what about, um, you know, if we go to a doctor and I get misdiagnosed and I had a bad experience with that doctor. So what do I do? I, of course, I tell everyone else about that doctor. That doesn't know anything and how terrible that doctor is. And I mean, is that... Because we want to protect other people. I mean, this is the eBay culture because if someone, if you order something on eBay and, you know, they, they don't give you good service, then you want to review them because you don't want other people to fall into the same trap as you. And that makes a, a lot of sense. And so my problem is I'm just wondering when I'm someone's bad experience. When it's my restaurant. When I'm that teacher. When I'm that coach. When I'm that pastor, when I'm that spouse, when I'm that, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's never a time, but I feel like we now live in a culture where we just always talk about our bad experiences. And the scripture says the same measure that I use to judge others will be the measure God uses to judge me and that the merciful will receive mercy. So at least we got to put this on the scales and talk about how the fear of the Lord comes into this. Because this is how I've tried to live my life. But just this week, I had someone talk to me, and uh, they, they lost their job, probably in an unjust manner. And my advice to them was don't throw spears back, because that's what I would do. But then they listened my advice and I'm like God what if that's not right I mean it's one thing when I live that way but when someone else I mean they're on the line and in that moment it was like God said do you trust me 
you don't, you don't think, do you know who I am? I mean, as if he couldn't even overcome bad advice <laughs> to solve someone's problem. I don't have to give perfect advice. I just give advice. And whether you follow it or not is up to you and the Lord. And so I told there's so many ways I could tell you about this week where the Lord was just like, see that? That's just a lack of trust. You don't trust me. You don't trust that I can fight battles for you and you're going to take it into your own hands. You're like, wow, who knew that I who had so much lack of the fear of the Lord in my life? And so we need to think. We need to pray. We need to draw near to where God is. I challenge you in this week ahead, spend more time in the Word than you usually do. Spend more time just listening to worship music in your car, wherever you can find time. And I know for some of you, especially single moms working a job, I know it's hard. But find some time, put on some worship music, and just thank God for His goodness. Because I guarantee you this room today is full of people that are in all kinds of stuff. Um, Christina was probably pretty spot on today when she shared that with us. But just let God get bigger. Let God get bigger. I'm not going to tell you today that you should never stand up for your, your kid if they're in a, a classroom that's bad. But, uh, you know, I've had people in, in talk about coaches or teachers and this kid has the best experience of his life, and this kid has the worst experience of his life in the same classroom. I don't, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. And if your kid's having a rough time in a classroom, go and go and have a conversation with that teacher and be as gracious and merciful as you can. And if it doesn't work out, pray like crazy. Pray like crazy. Because here's what I know. God can overcome anything. If you're being falsely accused of stuff at work, you know, you can, you can stand up for your rights. You can do that. Or you can just pray and say, God, you see all this, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Help. Guide me. Show me. And I promise this, I'm not going to stand in judgment on you if you stand up for your rights. And I'm not going to stand in judgment on you if you don't stand up for your rights because I have a hard enough time just navigating my own life. But I'll pray with you over any situation. And so this week, more time in prayer, more time in the word, more time in worship. And just say, God, I need I need you to get bigger. Because I tell you this, we live in a, a very confusing day right now. And everybody thinks they have the right answer. And I, I bet none of us have the right answer. Totally. Some of us have some right answers and others have other right answers. And so just let God get bigger. Let God get bigger and see what he says about whatever situation that you're facing. That's the fear of the Lord. And so, Father, God, help us as your people. We just humble ourselves right now and we recognize, um, God, we live in a day and we don't know what to do. There's all kinds of stuff going on around us, all kinds of information, all kinds of opinions, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of problems, all kinds of trials. God, in our culture as a whole and even in our individual lives, God, there are, 
there are problems with our spouse, there's problems with our kids, there's problems with our parents, there's problems with our teachers and coaches, and there's problems with our leaders, and there's just, there's problems with doctors. God, we, there's just a lot. And I admit today, God, my view of you has gotten too small. And I just need that to be bigger. Because there's nothing that I'm going to face today that you're not aware of. And I don't want to grumble and complain. I don't want to assume that you don't know what you're doing. I want to assume that you're bigger than you've been in the past to me. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask for grace upon us as a church, Restoration Church. Give us grace to grow in the fear of the Lord. Give us grace to grow in our trust of you and our submission to you. Give us grace to grow in mercy. Give us grace to grow in our view of you. Holy Spirit, become bigger and bigger in our eyes. We know that in this week ahead, we're going to need to be reminded of this often. And so, Holy Spirit, forgive us for the times this past week where we have blown past your advice, where you have tried to, to stop us from saying something or not saying something or doing something and not doing something, and we've just blown right past that and done our own thing anyway. Forgive us for those moments. And just restore to us good hearing so that we hear your voice, so that we hear what you're saying to us in these moments, so that we know how to navigate our lives. Holy Spirit, help us. Guide us. We trust you. You are faithful. You are good. And you can be trusted. And so we yield to you now. Help us to stay yielded this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.